Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. This is the podcast where we bring the practical message of Christ. We try to teach in such a way that you can take the words of God and that you can use them, and God would use you to impact people's lives. And so Life Over Coffee is a podcast that I trust that it will spark conversations with you and other people so that we can all grow and mature into Christ's likeness. In this episode, it is 411, and the title of it is Three Essentials We Need to Be Effective Disciple Makers. And so I want to lay out three things in sequential order that will help you and me to be better biblical counselors, if you prefer that term, or better disciple makers. Now, this is not the this is not the exhaustive treatment of how to be an excellent disciple maker. You can't do that in a brief podcast. You can't do it in a in a book. But these three things are absolutely essential. And so if you're watching this video that I'm producing here on YouTube or Rumble, if you would subscribe to those channels, I would appreciate it and, and share the link with a friend and say, hey, you need, to, you need to watch this video. For those of you who are listening to the podcast version uh, of this resource that I'm developing uh, if you would make sure you follow on the platform that you're listening to, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever it may be. And then also, if you would, write a review, give us a five-star rating. That will help us algorithmically to reach more people organically with the practical message of Christ. If you'd be so kind to write that review, if you'd be so kind to share uh, these resources, whether it's the video or the podcast, that would be fantastic. Now, if you want, this video and podcast is embedded in the show notes on our website. And so you can go to episode 411, and you can listen to the podcast, watch this video that I'm doing right now, and you can also read through the show notes. I have a lot of links embedded in these show notes that will help you, especially if you want to learn more about disciple-making, biblical counseling. There is a ton of information here. You can use this one resource, episode 411. You could use it like a homework assignment or a long-term life project uh, to where you really just focus on uh, the art, the skill of disciple making. And so if you want to do that, go to episode 411, again titled, Three Essentials We Need to Be Effective Disciple Makers. Let me get into this podcast video. There is a spiritual connection between the disciple maker and the disciple. Now, I don't want to be mystical here, but in the context, within a Christian context, the, the participants have to be alive in God. Paul talked about this in Corinthians 2.14, where he said the natural man does not understand the things of God. And so the, the work of discipleship happens in an alive community, people who've been made alive by God. And so it is a spiritual context. It is a spiritual connection between three people. It is the Spirit of God illuminating the disciple maker. It is the Spirit of God working in that other alive 
person bringing the growth, bringing, granting repentance sometimes to that individual. And so it's this triune relationship between two or more humans and the Spirit of God actively engaging and working in their lives. We know, as I mentioned, that the natural person does not perceive these things. They do not understand these things. They think these things are foolish. Their hearts are hardened. They are dull in Ephesians 4.17. They're futile in their thinking. Ephesians 2, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so this is a spiritual connection between two human beings as the Spirit of God is active and operative in their lives. And the Spirit of God binds them together. Now, when this connection happens, this spiritual connection, when it happens, the effect on each other's lives will not only be impactful, but it will be transformative as well. And so there are three essentials that I want to engage and deal with in this podcast that every disciple maker needs to have. They need to possess these things so that God can use them to have impact on themselves and also on the people that they are discipling or biblical counseling. And so again, I titled this three essentials we need to be effective disciple makers. Now again, sequential order. And the first one here that I call is affected disciple makers. Now what I mean by that is that we have to be affected by the very things that we are communicating to the person on the other side of the room. When I talk to our students in our mastermind program, we have an all online school. And when I say all online, I mean that it's 100% online. You don't have to go anywhere. And so anybody that has access to the internet can go through our training program. It is self-paced and you can learn how to be a disciple maker or how to be a biblical counselor according to the gift mix that you have and according to the ceiling that God has given you. Everybody has their own predetermined ceiling, meaning that it's not one size fits all where everybody's going to be the same when they come out the other end of our program. You will be as good as you can possibly be with our training, but you might not be as good or you may be better than the next person person because there are different skill levels in biblical counseling. Everybody's not the same, even though everybody goes through similar training. But one of the things that I teach our students is, is that we cannot be detached counselors. We have to be affected counselors, when, which is a, a person who has been impacted by the very things that they're communicating or sharing with another individual. There are two types of counselors, those who are affected and those who aren't affected. And those who aren't affected, this second group, these are people that all they really do is parrot Bible facts to the person that they are talking to. Now, I'm not marginalizing or trivializing the Bible at all, but what I want to do here is to develop a case that we have to do more than just parrot Bible facts. Maybe this has happened to you. 
a common illustration is an individual who has gone through a very difficult time and someone comes up to them and they say, well, uh, we know that all things work together for those of us who love God. Well, that is true biblically, factually, but what that person needs in that moment is, is the Bible customized to their life. Another common trite retort when uh, someone is struggling, uh, someone may say, well, you just need to trust God. Well, that is true biblically, factually, that is what they need to do. Uh, but what we need to do as disciple makers is we need to customize the facts of the Bible in a way that makes sense to that unique person that is sitting across from us. And so we cannot be detached counselors. We have to be affected counselors. Uh, teachers are the same way. Pastors are the same way. Uh, sometimes you can hear a pastor and, and you, you can't help but think that this person has not been affected by what they're teaching. I, I talk about it this way. It, it's like for those of you who are watching the video now, I have my hand right at my mouth, right at my lips, and it's like the words start there and then just proceed right off my lips from that point. That is the genesis. That is the origin of the words. An affected counselor, those words start in the person's heart. A pastor, for example, has spent 20 or 30 hours that week internalizing the message, exegeting the passage of Scripture, thinking through uh, what this passage means hermeneutically, and then after and appealing to God and asking God to internalize it and impact me. Not only help me to understand, but, but may this passage of Scripture rivet my heart. May it compel compel me uh, to live in a more sanctified way for you. And then they go from there to actually crafting the sermon that they're going to deliver on Sunday morning. And then they get up Sunday morning and they continue to tweak it. And they are affected. And then when they stand in the pulpit on Sunday morning and you hear them preach, it's not like they just downloaded sermon.com and they're just re just retelling uh, these words that they have uh, either got from sermon.com or they just quickly scribbled out and really haven't spent any time internalizing it with the Lord or truly exegeting the passage of Scripture. But then you have the other pastor who gets up, and when you hear him speak, there is no question that this person has been affected. It is compelling when the person that you are talking to has been affected, whether it's a teacher of the gospel or a disciple, discipler, counselor of the gospel. Now, one of the reasons that this is important in a discipleship context is because when someone comes to you and they are struggling, what you want to do is you want to offer them hope. And when you offer hope, there are, there are two aspects of hope. The first aspect could sound something like this. God's Word has an answer for you. That is something essential that you want to tell the person who is really struggling at this moment. But then the second aspect of hope is you would say something like, I know that is true. 
because this is what God has done for me. Now, that is the kind of person that that I want discipling me, not just a person who can casually or flippantly or even intellectually give me what the Bible says. I want someone to give me what the Bible says, but I want them to be persuaded by it. I want them to be persuaded by the very things uh, that they're teaching me. And that really uh, brings a richness to the hope that they are offering to the individuals. In our program, in our, our mastermind program, I talk to our students about the difference between classical knowledge and original knowledge. Classical knowledge is what you learn in the academy. It's what you learn at university. Classical knowledge is learning the Bible facts. Uh, classical knowledge could be all the years that you spend at the various Bible studies at your local church. And so whether you're listening to your pastor or a small group leader or a designated teacher or your prof, it doesn't matter, but they are teaching you what the Bible says in all of the angles that we can teach a, a full understanding of what the Bible says. That is classical knowledge. That is absolutely essential because you can't apply what you do not know. And so we need classical knowledge and we need to always be growing in it until we see Jesus. But then we have original knowledge. Original knowledge is when a person takes what the Bible says and they customize it uniquely to the individual that sits in front of them. And actually, before they do that, what what the classically trained, educated person does is they take the Bible facts and they originally, uniquely apply it to them. This is called progressive sanctification. You see, all of us are reading the Bible. All of us are learning classical knowledge. We're learning what the Bible says. But 15 people leave the Bible study hearing the same message, but they make 15 different applications because they are applying it originally, uniquely to them. And that is the difference between classical knowledge and original knowledge. And what you don't want to do in a discipleship context is hear the problem uh, that they are giving you, and, and you say, well, you need to trust God. Well, next person come in, and they share their problem, and you say, well, you just need to trust God. And the next person comes in, and you say, well, we know that all things work together for those who love God. That is mapping Bible words over the individual, and it's not customizing it in such a way that is unique to that individual. And that is not what the Bible would teach, that we just be classic knowledge disciple makers. We want to customize. And you see Jesus doing this throughout the four Gospels where he's taking the classical information of the Old Testament, the Old Bible, and he is applying it uniquely all along the way, original knowledge. And we need to grow in both of those. And if we haven't been doing it to ourselves, well, it's going to be virtually impossible to do it to another person. In fact, that's one of the things that you want to discern that a person who can't disciple, doesn't disciple, reluctant to disciple, or they say they cannot disciple somebody, then you have to ask the question, can you disciple yourself? Because 
you are a disciple as well. And if we can't take classical information, what the Bible says, and originally apply it to ourselves, then we can't disciple. And if we say that we can't disciple other people, then we need to tease that out just a little bit. We need to dig just a little bit deeper and ask a more important question, how are you discipling yourself? If you can't disciple, then how are you discipling yourself? And so we must be affected disciple makers, not detached disciple makers, where we're just giving parroted words out to every individual that is sitting in front of us. This is episode 411, and the title of it is Three Essentials We Need to Be Effective Disciple Makers. The first one is of three essentials we need to be effective disciple makers. And the first one is we need to be affected disciple makers. And then the second one is we need to be persuasive disciple makers. The Bible is not a magic book. Some people have this idea that all you have to do is just give them God's word and it will do what it is supposed to do. Well, the Philippians, uh, the, the, uh, Ethiopian eunuch was sitting in a chariot in Acts 8.32, and he had God's Word open right in front of him. He was reading Isaiah 53, one of the richest texts in all of Scripture, and he did not understand, and he told Philip that when Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading. He said, no, how can I unless somebody guide me? Well, there are a lot of one another's in the New Testament that would communicate a very, a very, a very similar message is what I'm trying to say. It's also the Great Commission. We are to go out and make disciples, teaching them all that God has taught us. And so we not only must be affected disciple makers, but we must be persuasive disciple makers because the Bible is not a magic book. If it were, then all we would have to do is just go and parrot the words. But some of you have been on the other end of talking parrots, and you know that that doesn't work well. And so the more that God has affected you by the things that you know, the more effectively you will be able to go out and impact those within your spheres of care. Thus, the effect of what you are learning and applying to yourself, it comes out of you, and it begins to influence and persuade others. As I was saying earlier about the pastor, the pastor who's been affected as he has been internalizing and praying through and studying this passage all week that he's preaching and he's affected by it, well, it's going to come out and it's going to affect the hearers it cannot do otherwise. Now, let me give you a caveat here, a footnote, because I do think that this is essential. I understand that only God can give the growth. Only God can give the increase. Only God can grant repentance. However, God gives the growth and he grants repentance in the context of a, of a community of disciple makers. And so he uses secondary causal agents to do his primary causal work. God is the primary causal force that, that gives the increase, that brings the growth. God is the primary cause that grants repentance. We can't increase, we can't bring increase, we can't bring growth 
We can't grant repentance. That is God's work as the primary causal agent. But he uses secondary causal agents in order to do that. And so they work hand in hand. And so there is a human responsibility aspect to what I am sharing, what I'm talking about here. Some people would go, you know, to to the ditches, and it's like, well, you know, let go, let God. That's not what the Bible, it's not what the New Testament teaches. We have a role to play. And so in order to play well, we want to be affected by what we are learning and applying, and then we want to be persuasive, point number two, as we go and do the work of discipleship. Uh, on the art of persuasion or the skill of persuasion, I want to share, I have three verses here in the show notes in episode 411. The first one is Proverbs sixteen twenty three. It says this, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. In Acts 18.4, and he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then in Acts 28.23, it says, when they had appointed, when they had appointed a day for him, Paul, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. The Bible, And there's many more verses in the Bible. This is just three. But there's, there's many other passages and verses. And, and Paul is a great example. In fact, you can study Paul and his, his passion and his persuasiveness in the book of Acts would be a great place to go as we watch Paul's life roll out. And those are my first two points here, passion and persuasiveness, that we cannot be detached disciple makers, detached counselors, detached teachers, or pastors, that we have to be affected. And then number two, we want to be persuasive. And I would say that you really can't be otherwise. If you have been affected by the power of God, then you're going to go out and you're going to be persuasive because heaven and hell are hanging in the balance. And then number three, we want to be insightful disciple makers. And what I want you to notice here, that we have gone from the disciple maker being affected to how he communicates. The words are going out of his mouth now. He's being persuasive, and now they're going into the hearts of the disciplee or the counselee. And so it goes from the discipler to the disciplee. And so therefore, this point number three is about the people that are sitting across from you, the disciplees or the counselees, the people that you want to train, equip, that you want to disciple. And so therefore, we must be insightful disciple makers. And so affected disciple makers who have matured in the art of persuasion, point number two, persuading others, they have a sense of 
awareness about the people that they hope to convince of the Bible truths. Remember what Paul was doing doing there uh, in Acts 28. He was spending his time trying to convince them about the kingdom of God. And so we have been affected, and now we want to persuade. Well, part of the art of persuasion and convincing people about Bible truths is having insight into the recipient's heart. This goes back to original knowledge. And so we don't want to classically map the Bible like a group of parrots and map the Bible over the person, but we want to understand the best that we can understand the recipient's heart so that we uh, can use the art of persuasion to attach God's word to their heart so that their hearts can be affected and transformed. And so we want to be in insightful disciple makers. Now, what I want to do here is I want to give you seven types of people, uh, seven different people just to think about. Now, this list is not mine. I have a link here, and I can't remember the website, but I do have it uh, hyperlinked here in these show notes in in episode uh, 411, and so you can go out and read what this individual wrote. But I took There are seven types of people just to give you an idea of the expanse, the spectrum of kind of individuals that you may be talking to because you need insight. Again, we cannot just map trust God, trust God, trust God over all seven of these people. We need to discern the seven people, and in this case, we'll find that they fit in seven different categories, and then once we understand who this unique individual is, now we can begin to take classical knowledge and originally customize it to each one of these seven unique people. And so here are seven indiv- seven different individuals, and, and again, you could probably add a thousand to this list, but it, I just want to give you a taste of the differences in people, the difference in the hearers of the word that you are sharing so that you know you can't do one size fits all. And so one type of listener to your disciple making will be the judgmental listener. The judgmental listener is the individual who hears with a critical ear, probably with a cynical spirit. This prop person has probably been hurt a number of times. And so, therefore, uh, they come uh, at you. They, they, they're they sitting before you in a judgmental kind of way. And so they're very critical. And that is going to be a different kind of person. And you're going to have to have a unique approach to that individual. Number two is the distorted listener. Because of their shaping influences, the things that have happened to them in their past, it has shaped them in such a way that they're going to hear uh, what you say. And, and though you think your words are going straight out of your mouth and straight into their minds, uh, into their ears, but actually it's taking a weird bending loop because it's being shaped differently because uh, they have been distorted based on their shaping influences. Number three is the stereotype listener. They place the discipler, you, who is discipling them, into a category. For example, they will say, uh, well, you're just a biblical counselor, and so you're a stereotype. Uh, You're just a woman, so what can you say? And so this is a person who places people in in category. You're a Christian. Well, I know what you're going to say. Well, a person who is listening that way, it's important for you to know that. So you have a judgmental listener, a distorted listener, a stereotype listener. Number four is a resistant 
listener. They have their barriers up. They come before you, and uh, they they have their arms crossed in front of them, in front of their face, and, and they have a barrier up. An illustration of this would be the teenager who is sent to counseling by his parents. Well, he's going to be a resistant listener, and if you just start throwing Bible facts at him, well, it's not going to work well because all of those things are going to bounce off his force field that he has up because he's a resistant listener. Number five, you have an interpretive listener. This person has a presupposition that anything you say runs through. Well, everybody has a presupposition. A presupposition is a filter, and so all the words are going to go through his presupposition, and you have to know what his presupposition is, or you might think you're saying one thing, but in actuality, he's listening to it another way because of his presuppositional filter. And then you have the association listener. This person compares what you say to all the bad things that they know. And, and for example, you say, well, God's word uh, is effective. God's word is powerful. And then they associate that with someone who abused God's word. You say, well, Christianity is the way. And, and they know five Christians who are gossips, and they're thinking, well, it's not working for them. And so that's the association listener. They associate what you're saying typically with the uh, anti-type, a, a bad illustration of that, which uh, deflates and, and can actually destroy uh, your argument. And then finally, number seven, you have the receptive listener. This is the person who is teachable, humble, they want to change, and they trust you. That's the kind of person that you want to talk to. And so insightful disciple makers understand, or they're growing and trying to understand the person that they are talking to. I've just given you seven categories, the judgmental listener, the distorted listener, stereotype, resistive, interpretive, association, and then receptive listener. This is episode 311, Three Essentials We Need to Be Effective Disciple Makers. Number one, in sequential order, we have to be affected by the very things that we are communicating. Number two, if we are effective, we should be persuasive and we should be growing in the skill of persuading and convincing others the way the great apostle did. And then number three, insightful disciple makers, as we are persuading them, we want to understand our audience so that we are originally communicating to them in the unique way that they need to be. I would appeal to you, for those of you who can, please check out our Mastermind program. And if there's any questions that you have, please let us know. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.